Good morning. How are you all doing? Yeah, I think it's fine. There's just one good that I heard. Uh, I think most of you are looking very fresh after after a holiday. So it's good to see you all. So we'll continue our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, as was clear from the reading, it is from chapter 10, verses 12 through 20 today. Chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. So let me begin with an illustration here. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, was once preaching. And all of a sudden, as he stood on the pulpit, he got a small note given to him by somebody. And as he read the note, there was just one word on it. It said, fool. So he stepped up, he stepped forward to the mic and he said this. This is very interesting because I've received several letters in my life with no names on them. But here's a piece of paper where there's a name of the sender but no letter. Did everybody understand it? (laughs) Today I will speak on something that I do not recall ever hearing a message about. And this is a topic that's often not sermonized. It's about fools. We all need to know how to deal with fools. And the reason is, you all know one. I know one. And I've been one as well. Just this last week, I've been a fool. And so I can speak from experience this morning. Mark Twain once said this, It is easier to fool people than to convince them that they've actually been fooled. It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've actually been fooled. If you remember our previous two sermons that we preached from the book of Ecclesiastes, the two previous passages, Solomon in the first one warned us about wisdom. He says wisdom has a lot of advantages, but wisdom has a downside to it as well. And then in the second passage, he said we ought not to exalt foolishness just because wisdom has its downside. Because foolishness has a greater downside than wisdom. And therefore, when you compare wisdom with foolishness, wisdom ought to be preferred. And he also exhorted us to pursue wisdom in light of all that he said. And before we move forward this morning, I do want to take a moment and redefine what wisdom is and what foolishness is. The difference between wisdom and foolishness is not seen in having a greater IQ or a lesser IQ. No, it is not seen in having a greater position in the society or a lesser position in the society. The Bible says that a wise person is someone who follows God. A wise person is somebody who has God at the center of his life. And a foolish person is somebody who lives his life however he thinks best. He doesn't care about God, he doesn't want God in his life, and he doesn't pursue God or seek after him. And so... This may raise some important questions for us this morning. The first one is, how do you deal with a fool? Or better, how do you spot a fool? We have seen some of the consequences of foolishness in our last sermon. And we mentioned three of them. But now we are moving into verses 12 through 20 of chapter 10. And Solomon here specifically shows us how foolishness affects a person's worldview. 
how it affects his words and how it affects his ways of life. So today's passage will reveal to us two attributes of a fool. Two attributes of a fool that you and I need to realize and you and I need to stay away from this morning and for the rest of our lives as well. So Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verses 12 through 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verses 12 through 20. In verses 12 through 14, you will see the first characteristic of the fool. And that is, the speech of a fool is destructive and unreliable. Notice the speech of a fool is destructive and unreliable. Fools destroy themselves by the way they speak, and they also bring harm to others as well. And not just that, the fool also continues to talk about things that he doesn't know about and cannot know about. In explaining this, Solomon has three things and three insights to give us, and let's go one by one. The first thing that Solomon says is this, the speech of a wise man brings grace. The speech of a wise man brings grace. Look at the first part of verse 12, 12a as we call it. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Let's stop right there. You know, the first part of this verse 12 gives a nice overview of the wise person's speech. And look at the description that it gives. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. I want to say this morning that words are powerful. Words have a force about them. How many times have you had this experience where you were about to say something to somebody and it was something hurtful and you stopped yourself, at least in your mind, and you said to yourself, stop saying it, please. Stop saying it, please. And the reason is, once the words are let out, once the words come out of your mouth, you cannot take them back. Words are powerful. Now, there's a saying in English that goes this way. Sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. Do you think it's true? If you think it's true, you're somebody who's without feelings. And also, you're somebody who does not take seriously The teaching of God's word on words. Listen to what James says here in James chapter 3 verses 5 through 10. You don't have to turn there. I'll read the passage for you in its entirety. It's very powerful. Listen to this. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind, now listen to this, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So James is clear here that we bless and curse people with this mouth of ours, and this mouth of ours can destroy people as well. So while we say that words don't hurt, they can hurt, and they do hurt, and words that come out of our mouths are the most basic evaluators of what is in our heart. Words that come out of our mouth are the most basic evaluator of our character. And that's why Jesus said this, out of the abundance of the heart, can you finish that? The mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Speech is a symptom of our heart. And so this morning, let me ask you this question as I 
very honestly and sincerely ask myself, what does your speech reveal about your character? What does your speech reveal about what's in your heart this morning? Solomon says that the wise give grace. The wise give favor to other people when they speak. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 23 says this, To make an apt answer is a joy to man, and a word in season, how good it is. A word in season, how good it is. If you go down to verse 28 of the same chapter, it says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Now listen please. The the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. A wise person considers and ponders how best to put it, how gracefully to put it to the other person that he is talking to. And by the way, all of the Proverbs that I've read, and this particular verse in Ecclesiastes that we are studying, assumes something very, very important. Listen to this very carefully, please. If you're wise, you will talk to people because you see the beautiful privilege that it is to minister to people using your words. It is a beautiful privilege to minister to people using your words. And Solomon says that the wise speak and they minister grace to people whenever they speak so that people are benefited and they're given what they need. You know, the ramifications of this are very astounding, especially for a church like ours where there are 200-odd people here. Imagine if every single one of us took care and are wise as Solomon says and spoke only gracious words to the other person. Imagine what kind of a church we would have here. We will all be continuously blessed. You know, if you remember, this is how Jesus spoke as well in the Gospels. And Luke narrates for us in chapter, two, chapter 4, verse 22, these words, he says, And all spoke well of him, that is Jesus, and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Isn't that beautiful? What a testimony that is. They marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before I move to my next point, let me remind you and remind myself of Paul's exhortation to the church at Colossae. He says in chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. Not once in a while, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's the first thing that Solomon begins with, that the speech of a wise man brings grace. The speech of a wise man brings grace. Second thing, quite a contrast, isn't it? The speech of a fool brings destruction. The speech of a fool brings destruction. Look at the second part of verse 12, 12b and verse 13. But the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. Now, while the words of the wise result in positive effects, the full speech culminates in destruction is what Solomon is saying here. And Solomon here in this verse really wants us to see the ramifications of destructive words that are set out by a fool. What is the fool's speech like then? The answer is, Solomon says here that when a fool speaks, it is foolish at first, but by the end of their talk, it is raving madness. It is utter madness. So the speech of a fool goes from bad to worse. You know, it's like Romans chapter 1. The world claims to be wise, but they are fools because in all of their talk, they ignore God. In all of their talk, they ignore God. And this is only going to lead to worse scenarios. As I speak this morning, standing up here, looking at all of you, as you listen to me, I'm reminded from Scripture that we are 
as much as possible and as much as is in our strength to live at peace with people, to live at peace with one another. And we are to make sure that every time we open our mouths and speak to others, we have ministered grace to others. We have been gracious in our words. Often, when we speak our minds, people misunderstand us and people get hurt. And there are some people who are sensitive as well and who get hurt. When it's not our intention, we're not always responsible for it. But the fact of the matter is, think about this. Sometimes you and I justify our anger by blaming others for it, isn't it? Sometimes you and I justify our anger by blaming others for it. Think about your life as you listen to God's word this morning, as I think about my own life. If there is a consistent pattern in your life, when you speak and others are getting hurt, and you are the common thread in it, then chances are the fault is yours and not the other person's. And therefore, you and I must repent of it this morning. And let our words be gracious, seasoned with salt. And you and I must know how to answer every person in a gracious way. And those who are wise, those of us who are wise, have the privilege of sacrificing ourselves and ministering grace to others. So as we stand here in the first Sunday of this year, can we resolve this morning, right now as you sit here, not when you get home, that'll be too late. But right now, as you sit here, can you resolve this morning, as I resolved while I was preparing the sermon, that from now on as I speak, I will only minister grace to others. I'll be gracious in my speech. I'll be gracious to everybody that I speak to. I'll be gracious to my church members. I'll be gracious to my cell group members. I'll be gracious to my uh, cell group leaders. I'll be gracious when I talk to my family members. I'll be gracious when I talk to my in-laws, even. I'll be gracious when I talk to my elders. And Solomon is saying that the speech of a fool brings destruction. The speech of a fool brings destruction. Thirdly, Solomon says, the fool talks about things he knows nothing about. Verse 14, the fool talks about things he knows nothing about. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? Solomon says that the fool won't stop talking. They think they're smart. They think they're wise. They think they know what they're talking about. Although no one knows the future, a fool will take a stab at it. And no one can guarantee what tomorrow will bring. But the fool goes on ranting about tomorrow, not just about his tomorrow, but your tomorrow as well. He predicts future. You know, it's like the Apostle James who talks about, who make their plans, ignoring God. And James says, that's why every person ought to say this, Lord willing, we will do, we will live and do this or that. Lord willing, we will live and do this or that. But the fool takes all of this for granted. He thinks he's in control of his own life. He thinks he's in control of his own future. He doesn't care about God in the process. And in the process, he will convince you as well to take charge of your own life and not leave it in the hands of God. In the year 1988, there was a man by the name of Edgar Weisnant. Edgar Weisnant published a book that quickly became a runaway bestseller. And the name of the book is this, 88 Reasons Why Rapture Would Happen in 1988. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1988. 
And then a year later, he had to revise the book, obviously, change the title as well. And the title became 89 Reasons Why uh, the Rapture Would Happen in 1989. But having discredited himself with his previous failed prediction, he could not whip up much excitement and fan following this time. But even as late as 2011, there was a man by the name of Harold Camping. You've heard of him, right? Harold Camping predicted that the rapture would happen on 21st May 2011. And all of his followers, especially he had a large uh, following because of his radio network, all of them, they quit their jobs. All of them, they took their money out of their banks. They rented 5,000 huge billboards all across the United States talking about the idea or the notion that on the 21st of May 2011, the judgment day is going to happen. They even rented 20 huge trucks, plastered this message on the trucks. They sent them all across the United States. And when the day came, 21st of May 2011, the judgment day did not come. The day of the Lord did not come. And so when asked the question about why it did not come, Harold Camping went on to say this, that he missed the calculations and he was just off by five months. Such a precise calculation, isn't it? He was just off by five months in his calculation, is what he said. You know, when our Lord Jesus Christ was in his earthly life, talking about the hour of his coming, he said this, but concerning that day and the hour, no man knows, not even the angels, nor the Son of Man, but the Father alone. If the Lord Jesus exercised such a humility about a matter, you and I, ought to exercise the utmost humility about such matters, isn't it? But there's no dearth of date setters today because fools talk about things they know nothing about. Fools talk about things they know nothing about. Now, godly assurance and confidence in the Lord is a great thing. Being confident in your hermeneutics is a great thing. And I really admire people who know what they're talking about. But the fact of the matter is, when you cannot know a thing, when you cannot know a thing, even from the word of God, then it is foolish to talk about such things. And that's why here Solomon says that fools talk about things they know nothing about. So in verses 12 through 14, we saw the first characteristic of a fool. The speech of a fool is destructive and unreliable. The speech of a fool is destructive and unreliable. Then there's a second characteristic that Solomon is talking about here, and that is in verses 15 through 20. That is in verses 15 through 20. They say that the actions of a fool are hedonistic and reckless. Now notice here, look at the progression. It is first the words of a fool, and then it became actions. Words turned out into actions, and that is the progression that Solomon is seeing here. The actions of a fool are hedonistic, self-centered and reckless. And Solomon here is taking us further and showing us foolishness doesn't end with speech. It turns into actions. It affects and comes out in our actions as well. And Solomon explains this for us by talking about five things. Let's go one by one and very quickly as well. The first thing that he says is, the fool does not perceive the obvious. Verse 15, the fool does not perceive the obvious. The toil of a fool wearies him. For he does not know the way to the city. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Now this verse seems connected to the previous set of verses, but it moves us forward in the following verses by going from speech into actions. It goes from speech into actions. And in this verse, we read that the fool wearies himself with his work. 
It is possible that he wearies himself with work because he's talking a lot and talking incessantly. But it could also mean that he is working a lot in general. And I take the interpretation to mean that it's just work in general that Solomon is talking about. But the verse is not saying here that he literally doesn't know how to get to the city. Instead, it's akin to saying something like this. You're driving in circles. You're driving in circles. Have you ever felt like that? That you wanted to do something and you felt like you're driving in circles? And Solomon here says, that's the lifestyle of a fool. They go around in circles. He's always moving about, but he is going nowhere. And get this, the city should be obvious. For example, if you're coming into Bangalore and you're coming into driving into Bangalore for the first time, you know where the city is. Well, you could have some difficulty getting off the right flyover or getting onto the right flyover, but in the end you will get into the city because the city is a pretty obvious thing. You cannot miss it. But here Solomon is saying, although he knows where the city is, he will never arrive at the city because he misses the most obvious thing. A fool misses the most obvious thing. That's the work of a fool. The fool does not perceive the obvious. The second thing, and very importantly, Solomon says the fool is self-indulgent as well. The fool is self-indulgent. Look at verses 16 and 17. By the way, these are very difficult verses to interpret. Uh, Let's go a little slower here. What do you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning? Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. You know, there are fools in high places just just as there are fools among ordinary citizens. The nature is the same. But we'll start with rulers as Solomon is talking about rulers here. When rulers are foolish, the whole nation suffers. Make sense? When the rulers are foolish, the whole nation suffers. Foolishness and sin never just affect the individual, they affect other people, and when you're in leadership, they affect your organization, and they affect the entire nation as well. And that's why Solomon here says, Woe to you, O land. Woe to you, O land. That means it's almost akin to saying that that God's judgment is upon you, O land, when such a thing happens. Woe is not a blessedness from God, but it's a punishment from God. Or this would be another way of saying vanity in the modern day world or vanity in the language of Ecclesiastes. And here is a scenario that Solomon is describing for us. A young ruler in his teens was given the throne and he was foolish. And that will affect the entire nation. The point is not so much about his youthfulness, but about his foolishness, is what Solomon is saying. Because a child often does not have the capability appropriate for leadership. The word for child, depending on the context, does not necessarily or always mean young. Because the way Solomon used the word in 1 Kings 3.7 is in a different way. When he was given the throne, the throne of his father David, this is exactly what he said in 1 Kings 3.7. He is speaking to the Lord and he is saying this, You have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And after he says this, just a little later, he is praying for wisdom and he is praying for discernment, which tells me that the word, word child here does not necessarily mean young, but the word child here means lack of discernment. 
or foolishness in the language of Ecclesiastes here. And you see this foolishness in how they treat their resources. They feast at the wrong time. When are they feasting? This verse says they feast in the morning. What's going to happen if you begin your day with a party? What's going to happen if you begin your day with a party? You're never going to accomplish anything. Because first of all, you'll be tired. And secondly, you'll be in a party mood. And in the end, you'll be completely lazy. But leaders have a people to care for and a nation to be concerned about. And Solomon's point here is they are not stewarding their resources well. They are not stewarding their resources well. But look at verse 17. Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. The opposite of woe is happy. And so when the king is a son of a nobility, which means... He is somebody who is trained and he is somebody who is wise in leading. The result is that, this, that they are good stewards of the resources that have been given to them. But notice this, they still feast too. They are feasting as well, but they feast at the proper time for the right reasons. You see the difference? They feast at the proper time for the right reasons. They feast for strength and not for hedonistic pleasure. Solomon says the fool is self-indulgent. The fool is self-indulgent. Thirdly, the fool does not act at the opportune moment. The fool does not act at the opportune moment. Look at verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. At this point, someone could say, yeah, you're right, Raven. Leaders need to be careful because they have a nation to manage. And we can be quick to accuse the leaders as well. But Solomon says here, it's not just with the leaders that there's a problem. It's with general public as well. Now notice here in verse 18, he highlights sloth and he highlights laziness. If you're lazy, your home will fall apart. If you're lazy, your home will fall apart. You need to keep your eye on your resources and take care of them. And what happens if you don't? Your roof will fall in is what Solomon says here. Let me give you an illustration here. The Arkansas Traveler was the state uh, song of Arkansas from 1949 to 1963. George, do you know the song? No. I thought I'd make you sing here. It has been the state historical song since 1987. And the song is about a man who sat beside his house and he was fiddling away. And as he was fiddling away, there was a traveler uh, who was passing by. And he says, I see your roof is leaking. Why don't you mend it? Why don't you fix it? And the man says, it's raining right now. I can't do it. And then the traveler again comes and he asks the question, why can't you mend the roof? He says, well, my roof does not leak when, it's, when the sun is shining. So the point here is that we must act in time. We must act in time. Now, as you listen to God's word this morning, think about your life as I think about my own life. What has God given you to steward? What has God given you to steward? It may not be a roof. Maybe you live in an apartment where somebody else takes care of it. But the point is, you have a family. And maybe you're the head of the family. And you have been given the responsibility by God to lead the family in spiritual activities. And you're not taking it seriously. Maybe you're wasting a lot of time in your life. And maybe the time off that you get from work, you're just enjoying and just pludging that time. What are you stewarding and how are you stewarding it? 
The fool seems to care only about his personal gains. He's a self-centered guy, and he wants to uh, only get immediate pleasure. That's self-centeredness. That's covetousness. And Solomon says the wise person does not do it. Fourthly, he says, the fool misuses God-given gifts. The fool misuses God-given gifts. Look at verse 19. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Bread is made for laughter, that's right, and wine gladdens life. That's what they're made for. Have you experienced, I'm pretty sure all of us have experienced the power of food in relationships. The power of food in relationships. If you want to be good friends with me, take me out to lunch this afternoon and buy me a, you know what it is. You can actually be good friends with me. The reason is, I don't know what it's about food, but people can get connected with others over food. Isn't it true? It can even be a vehicle through which God draws us closer to one another. Friendships are developed over food. And did you know that even the Reformation message of justification by faith, that was taken through, throughout Germany by talking about the message in the restaurants over food. Food is a powerful medium that God has created and gifted us with. But let's not idolize food is what Solomon is saying. Don't feast in the morning. Don't negate the other responsibilities of life that God has given us. Don't treat your food as God. Instead, recognize food as a gift from God and enjoy the blessings of food. It, it was made to give you strength physically and it was also made to give you encouragement and also joy in your life. But what about the money statement here? He says money answers everything. Money answers everything. Solomon isn't saying that in every scenario, money answers all the questions. No, that's not what he's saying here. Nor is Solomon saying that the money is answered to everything. I don't think a person like Solomon would say that. Instead, he is saying that in almost everything in life, money is needed. In almost everything in life, money is needed. You need food, you need money. You need to buy medicines, you need money. You want to have children, you need money. You want to support somebody else, you need money. Jesus, in fact, even talked in one of his parables where he says that we are to make friends by the use of money. And James also said this, that it's not simply enough to pray if you have money. You also need to use the money to support other people. So the Bible teaches us that money can be of practical help if used under the grace of God for God's uh, glory and for our good. So a wise person will then recognize that we need to steward money, we need to steward food in such a way that we recognize it as a gift from God. We don't idolize them. However, a fool looks for immediate self-centered satisfaction and the fool misuses God-given gifts. The fool misuses God-given gifts. Fifthly and lastly, Solomon says, the fool is not careful in his criticism. The fool is not careful in his criticism. Look at verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature will tell the matter. Now as Solomon wraps up all the information he has given us, you are thinking, Ravant, I get the message. All you're saying is, I ought not to be a fool, isn't it? 
And then when we have all this information, we might look down upon all the foolish people around us, and there are many of them in the world. But notice the conclusion that Solomon comes to in verse 20 here. Let me read that for you again. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird in the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Here's the point. If foolishness starts in the heart and comes out in our words and eventually affects our actions, Solomon is calling wise people and saying that we need to be careful in our speech, especially in relation to authorities and government. We ought not to criticize the authorities and government. I'm not exactly sure why he goes on to this specific conclusion, but definitely he can hit us between the eyes. And here as I address this, I want to say this very, very carefully. I know there are some of us who are very active uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and all of that. And I see a lot of messages. But I do want to respectfully and, and lovingly say here what the Word of God is saying. And I need to be honest in presenting the Word of God to us. One of the riskiest things for people to do with their words is to criticize publicly the government. One of the riskiest things for us to do is to criticize the government publicly. In this case, people with power and people with political influence. In some countries, criticizing the government is tantamount to treason, isn't it? That is especially true in an absolute monarchy, which in the biblical times when Solomon was writing, uh, it included most nations. You gossip about the government even in secret, they will be secret agents who will tell the king and you'll be punished for it. Cursing political leaders is wrong in itself, which is something that we as Christians who live in a democratic country need to remember before the elections, during the elections, and after the elections as well. We need to remember that criticizing the government is wrong before the elections, during the elections, and after the elections, because the general principle in the New Testament is this that we need to lead quiet and peaceable lives, and we need to honor the king and pray for the king as well. But we don't do that. We'd rather talk against the rulers and sometimes even lay accusations hastily and speak against them. And I'm guilty of that as well. Uh, I don't say this glibly. I say this with concern. Is that wise speech? I don't think so. And to add to this, we also live in a society where you could post something on social media and just by the click of a button, it could take a circle around the world and even influence masses just by one sentence that you and I could be writing. We may think that the people, all the people who are reading it don't know me and so it doesn't matter. But this is not the way of the wise is what Solomon is saying. Whether it's speech against rulers or even speech against those around us, we must be careful and there ought not to be criticism. As we've been learning in the book of Ecclesiastes, a wise person fears God. He honors him. He knows he is glorious and he knows everything is under God's control even when the government is bad. Everything is under God's control even when the government is bad. Now let me say the flip side of it. Does this, does this mean that we ought not to confront sin. Because even in Solomon's uh, Ecclesiastes, he has told us how to wisely do such things. And I want to say this, yes, there's a place for dissent in democracy. 
Yes, there's a place for mature political debates, and I have some of them with some of my friends here. There's a place for talking about injustice, but I want to say this, it needs to be done with utmost care, utmost prayer, and a lot of biblical counsel. And I'm not saying it's very easy to discern when the opportune moment is. All I'm saying with Solomon is that we must, circ- we must be circumspect and we must be judicious as well. Why? Because a fool is not careful in his criticism. So what's the point of this morning's passage that Solomon has talked about in about nine verses? The whole passage basically says, be wise in your words, be diligent, take appropriate risks, and explore ways to develop and apply these skills to life. Since we don't know what the earthly future holds, even though government officials may prove to be unworthy, we ought not to unnecessarily criticize them, is what Solomon's point is. Let me finish this with an illustration and then an application. Adolf Hitler, an unimposing man with dark hair, you remember he was ranting to the crowds who were his followers, and you know the ramifications and all that ensued after his speeches. There was wickedness that followed. You know, when he attacked Russia, when he went to attack Russia, there was a German man in Germany who was pacing the floor, and when he got the news that Hitler actually attacked Russia, two words just came out of his mouth, and I read this in a history book. The man paced the floor, and he said, this fool, this fool. That's all he had to say about Hitler. So it always ends for those who think They are wise, but they are not. So it always ends for those who are fools or listen to fools. You know, as I think about this, as I think about this message, my mind moves to my great need for God and His grace for me to give me the right words, wise words, wise actions, and a wise heart as well. And as I think about this year, I long all the more for a greater kingdom, a kingdom where I won't struggle I won't struggle to express myself. A kingdom where the ruler is all righteous, so I don't have to speak anything against him. But I'll worship him because of how glorious he is. A ruler who came into this world 2,000 years ago, and he respected even those who crucified him. And a ruler who, when you come by faith to him, will give us salvation, unmerited and graciously. That's the gospel according to Ecclesiastes. And let's be wise in doing all of this that Solomon has talked about. Thank you for your patience. May the Lord bless you all. And let's pray. Father God, this morning we want to thank you for your words from the pen of the wisest man on earth, Solomon. What words of wisdom, O Lord? And we realize more than that, this is inspired scripture. And that's why all of it is profitable for us. It is able to correct us, change us, rebuke us, and train us in righteousness so that we are thoroughly equipped for every good work that you've called us to do. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you, O Lord, for reminding us about how to spot a fool and that we ought to stay away from being a fool because we understood how destructive foolishness can be. Help us to be wise. Help us to pursue you. Help us to seek you in everything that we do, so that we can present, even through our lives, the wise God and the wise gospel that can only save people. We want to thank you once again for this message. 
Also pray for the rest of the things that are going to happen, the sisters meeting and the fellowship time and everything else, O Lord. And even the week, bless the week and give it to us as we honor you, our King, in Jesus' name.